I hope you all had a good Christmas. It's such a wonderful time of year, and it's so great to have this kind of joined purpose of thanking God for coming to us. Uh, we had a, a great time in our family. I hope you did as well. But I, I've been thinking as we look back, the past year has been rough, and the year before was not any better. It's just been too kind of grinding years and uh, life is often hard we think about God coming to us in Christ and the joy and, and celebration that accompanies that but you may come to this season this year discouraged by the hardships and sufferings you've faced throughout the year how do we know God loves us when we're suffering the prophet Micah spoke to uh, the people of Judah during one of the dark periods in its history and it was just the beginning of six miserable centuries for them. What kind of a message does God have for us in that kind of a context when suffering is about to come upon us and it's going to stick around for a long time? Micah's promise was that God was going to send somebody as an answer. Jesus was that answer to uh, not just the suffering of Judah at that time, not just the suffering that they would endure for the next six centuries, but the suffering of the human race. I believe he remains our answer today as we face suffering. I've titled today's message, Help in Darkness. Before I start reading, let me set the scene for us uh, when it is that Micah is prophesying. Now, uh, we know from, if you know anything about the history of Israel, that very early on in the kingdom of Israel, they split. Uh, there was a big divide after Solomon, so you had Saul and David and Solomon, and then from then on, they split into two kingdoms. You had the northern tribes and then Judah in the south. Micah prophesied to the people of Judah in the south, and he did so uh, about a hundred years before the fall of Jerusalem. So he was doing this when the northern tribes were in the process of being conquered by the Assyrians who were coming through. And if you know anything about the Assyrians, they were probably the cruelest, most bloodthirsty, brutal uh, of the ancient empires. Uh, they skinned people alive. They beheaded them and put their heads on pikes. And they even made artwork on their uh, stone carvings of all these horrible things they were doing just to scare people into submission. The Assyrians were a horrible, horrible plague on the earth. And it's when the Assyrians are, are breathing down their necks that Micah comes with this message. And uh, Micah is aware that God's not going to resolve this immediately. He doesn't know exactly how long, but God gives Micah a promise that he's going to intervene. Now, in addition to dealing with the reality of their situation, Micah has a message for the people of Judah, and he addresses the leadership and how they have utterly failed in bringing the people to trust in God, and they have uh, taken advantage of the people they were leading instead of leading them and caring for them, and they have abused them, and they, their prophets are, are speaking nothing but lies, telling everybody, everything's okay, it doesn't matter, you keep going just the way you are. Nothing bad is ever going to happen to you. And they are lying. 
And Micah lets them know that this is not what's happening, that really things are going to be very bad and very difficult. And God, as he often does in the prophets, complains bitterly about how the shepherds who had the care of the flock of God's people have squandered that opportunity to help and instead have been predatory toward the people they were leading. They have abused them and taken advantage of them and used them for their own ends. And in many of the prophets, God criticizes severely the shepherds of the people of Israel. And he even says, I'm fed up with it. I'm going to take care of all of these shepherds. I'm going to get rid of them and I will shepherd my people. I will step in and be your caretaker. That's... There are echoes of that in Micah's prophecy because in chapter 4, as he's talking about the the sins and the the lies of the leadership, uh, in chapter 4, verse 7, God says, I am going to step in and I, Yahweh, myself, will be king over my people. I will be the just ruler over my people and I will take care of them because the the humans that have been doing this have, have failed utterly. But then it goes right back, and in Micah we have these back and forth between the current messed up reality and the promises of the good things God is bringing to bear. We kind of go back and forth, and that's where we reach reach chapter 5. So let's read verse 1. Now muster your troop... Troops, O daughter of troops, siege is laid against us with a rod. They strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. And in so few words, uh, Micah paints a picture of the current political reality of Judah. They're mustering their troops. They're gathering their forces. They are trying to defend themselves. And this is the period when we're reading in the history of Israel where the Rabsathes is coming uh, and uh, he's uh, threatening the people of Judah and telling them, uh, you know, we'll even give you horses if you think you can fight against us. Uh, We're going to stomp you. We're going to obliterate you. Just... Lay down and surrender. And uh, this is the kind of uh, abuse Judah is facing during Micah's day. You muster your troops. You're trying to defend against these external forces that are intent on just destroying you. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. Despite all their attempts to defend themselves, they cannot protect themselves and they certainly cannot even defend the uh, honor of their own king. And their own king is treated dismissively. Uh, even today, I don't think there's a culture on earth where being slapped in the face is not a tremendously humiliating thing. They, they hit their king. They slap their king across the face and there's nothing they can do to stop it. God is sending his message to a people in a very dark moment where they are facing opposition. They have no power to stop and they are being humiliated and ground under the heel of the Assyrians. And, and Micah doesn't just talk about the Assyrians. He also talks about who's coming behind the Assyrians. The Babylonians are coming. I have a question for you. 
Micah calls out to Judah at a low point in which they are suffering humiliation at the hand of powerful enemies. How have you found God calling out to you in the most difficult moments of your life? Let's keep reading verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. God says, okay, this is the terrible situation you're in, but I'm going to intervene. And from this little bitty town of Bethlehem, this town who's so small and insignificant, when you're counting up the cities and towns of Judah, people don't even count it. It's that small. And nobody thinks anything of this. It's this place of insignificance. From there, I'm going to raise up a ruler. And this kind of harkens back to what God did with David. Remember David? He was from this little insignificant nowhere town. And he, was, uh, he even uh, admitted that his family was the least important among the clans of Judah. They were nobodies. And even in that clan of nobodies, when Samuel came to uh, Jesse, David's father, and said, God has sent me to anoint one of your sons king of Israel. Bring your sons before me. His father didn't even bother to bring David. He brought all his other brothers. And Samuel went through all of them. God said, no, it's not any of these. And Samuel had to say, where is, is this all of your kids? Oh, no, there's David, but pfft, he's nobody. Well, it turns out David was to be the greatest king Israel ever had from a, a town that was nothing and a family of nobodies. And among those nobodies, the least significant of them all, God raised up the greatest king Israel ever had. That's the same thing God's going to do, but even on a grander scale. And he's going to start it all in that same little town of Bethlehem. Notice, if we look at that, we say, okay, it's another guy kind of like David. And we're going to see another David. And that's one of the ways people talk in the Bible about Jesus, about the Messiah coming. He will be the son of David. But notice there's something in this description that is a little bit odd and a little bit more, a whole lot more than we could say about David. His coming forth is from of old, so he, he, he comes from way back. From ancient days, that word in Hebrew is kind of uh, broad, olam is the word. And it doesn't just mean something from remote antiquity. It can also mean something that is just going to be here forever, something eternal. Something that harkens back to the dawn of time and is immutable and is going to be here forever. So this king is more than just another guy like David who's going to do a great job for 40 years and then die. This guy it comes to bring an impact with eternal significance. That's exactly what God did in Jesus. God himself fulfilled the promise of chapter 4, verse 7 in Micah, where God says, I, Yahweh, myself will be king of my people. God himself took on flesh and came as the answer to our problem and our suffering. 
and he, from insignificance, from the least important of all, God brought the most important, the most glorious and grand. I have a question from this verse. God promises to raise up the greatest king from the most humble of circumstances. How does Jesus combine the glorious and the plain in one amazing person? Let's read verse 3. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. So Micah makes it clear that this isn't going to happen immediately. And God is going to deliver over the people of Judah uh, to the forces that are at work against her. And Micah may not be aware of this. It's going to be another six centuries before God brings this to its conclusion with the coming of the Messiah. There are six centuries of heartache for the Jewish people ahead of them. God will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. And that is immediately a, a, a reference to Mary herself who will give birth to Jesus. But in a broader sense, kind of the image we see in Revelation, the whole people of Israel are bringing to this world the one Savior. That image of the woman who is being pursued in Revelation by the dragon and who gives birth to the one who will rule over the nations. That is the same image we see here in Micah 5.3. That God says, it's going to be a while, but when the moment is right, uh, this child will be brought into the world. And what's he going to do? He's going to... Uh, cause the rest of his brothers to return to the people of Israel. There are a lot of prophecies in the prophets. And as Micah is prophesying, the northern kingdom is falling and the exile is happening. And this idea of restoration most immediately to those reading these prophecies would have been, oh, God's going to bring back the people of the northern tribes that the Assyrians have scattered throughout the whole fertile crescent to every distant nation. They're going to be drawn back and we will be restored as a people. But I think that becomes just an image for the bigger problem we all face as human beings. God created us to be a family. But the family of Adam and Eve has been broken from the very beginning. Their own children, one of them murdered the other. And that process has just continued generation after generation so that at this point the world is a scattered family that is divided and broken. And more than just the returning of certain tribes to the territory of Israel, the image here is of a king who is going to come to restore into one what has been fragmented by war and hatred. Paul meditates in Ephesians about the mystery of what God has accomplished in Jesus, which is to bring together into one all things in heaven and on earth. Paul understood the gospel to be a ministry of reconciliation. Our task is to be the source, uh, the, the source of a message that will end war, that will end enmity and hatred. So this king to come is going to gather us back. 
The gospel life is a life of being restored, of healing the fragmented relationships in our lives. I have a question from this verse. God tells Judah that she will suffer yet for some time, but she will birth someone who will restore and gather in all, gather in all God's family. How have you experienced God bringing restoration and joy after extended suffering? Let's finish reading verses 4 and 5. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of Yahweh, in the majesty of the name of Yahweh his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. This is what God is going to do. He's going to come to us and establish himself as our king. Gather us all back into himself and he is going to shepherd us. The promise made through the prophets that God is going to get rid of all of the ineffectual human leaders who inevitably twist things to their own advantage and don't actually care for the flock. God says, I'm done with this. I will be the shepherd of my people. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd goes out before them and leads them out and brings them in. And they follow him because they know his voice. Micah is talking about this shepherd to come. And Jesus is that shepherd who shepherds the flock of God's people in the strength of God Almighty. In the majesty of the name of Yahweh his God. If we look at Jesus' ministry, he spent the whole time talking about his father. And how he could do nothing but what the father commanded him to do. And how he could do nothing apart from the father. And in everything, he was exalting God, the father, and drawing us to him as our great mediator. This is how God is responding to the suffering and the humiliation and the brokenness we face. He has brought the king who becomes the source of our security. They shall dwell secure. He shall be great to the ends of the earth. That mission video we were watching about every tribe, every tongue, every nation exalting, every language exalting Christ. That is what is happening. And Jesus is known the world over. And God has continued to use his people to extend the message into the nooks and crannies of every corner of the world. That is what we are doing. We are extending the greatness of his name to the ends of the earth. And he shall be their peace. Notice carefully how Micah words this. Jesus isn't the source of our peace. He's not the the thing from which we draw peace. He is our peace. He himself is peace. 
you wonder how do Christians find peace when their life is in turmoil, when there is suffering, when things are a mess? Where do we find peace? I can tell you it's certainly not to be found in the circumstances of our life. Where do we find peace? Jesus is our peace. It doesn't matter what's happening around us. It doesn't even matter what's going on in our own hearts. He is our security. He is our peace. I have a final question for you. God's love extended to us in Jesus results in his great name being exalted throughout the earth as he shepherds us lovingly and brings us to peace. How have you experienced the love of Jesus in your life? From the depths of our hopeless situation, from our powerless plight at the hand of enemies, our shame and humiliation, our failures, we hear the promise of restoration. It may seem that God's forgotten us, but he loves us. He finds us here, isolated, powerless, broken, alienated, frightened, and he tells us that he has come to us in Jesus to solve our plight, to rescue us, to strengthen us, to reconcile us, to vindicate us, to bring us majesty and security and peace, to be our peace. My question to you today is, have you met Jesus? Have you claimed him as your true king, as the shepherd of your soul? Are you ready to know peace? Let me capitalize that for you. He's a person. If so, call on him. Trust your life in his hands and enter fully into this family of peace. Please join me in prayer. God, we thank you so much for your love. We know life is hard. Sometimes it feels brutal, God. And in this grinding despair that is all about us, you call to us with a promise of hope and security. Thank you for coming to us yourself, God. Not sending somebody else in representation, but actually stepping into our world yourself. Taking on flesh. Rescuing us. God, help us to have the courage to turn to you in faith. To give up on every other alternative and understand that you alone are the answer our souls are longing for. Draw us to yourself and be our peace. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.